Good morning. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining with us. I know we have uh, friends and family along with our confirmation class this morning. Uh, thank you for being here. I'll be uh, introducing these folks in a, in a little bit. Their names are in your bulletin. They are not seated in alphabetical order, uh, but uh, uh, you'll you'll get to meet them uh, in, in a little bit. But we have had a, a a semester of getting to know each other, of sharing about the goodness of God, of having uh, fun and play as long uh, along with some study time. And uh, they come before you this morning uh, to proclaim their faith. Uh, some of them will be uh, joining. Uh, some of them will be getting baptized later. Uh, but what a celebration for us. Uh, in, in a world, I mean, go and read anywhere about church trends right now, and uh, church is on a slide. What, what was happening before the pandemic has continued and actually exponentially grown uh, that, that the younger generations are not committing to church. And in the midst of that, to have 25 kids uh, sitting before us uh, is a praise. And so I, I think we should recognize that today's big day for us we're gonna we're gonna do our confirmation time and uh and uh following the service it's probably going to be uh we'll finish here hopefully by 11 30 11 45 we'll be going over to light on the hill uh at mount wesley uh to the swimming pool there for our baptisms any of you that would like to join us there, I'm guessing around noon or a little after there, we will we will be gathering for the baptisms there. And we would love any of the church family that wants to join our families uh, for that. Please come and join us for that. This afternoon, uh, uh, Pastor Donna, we are going to be having a uh, fiesta to celebrate her retirement. And so I uh, invite you to that. It's Fellowship Hall, 3 to 5. Everyone is welcome. Uh, bring card if you have it. Uh, other other ways to say thank you. There's a program. There's going to be good food. It's going to be a, a neat afternoon. And uh, if any of you get the newsletter, you, you already know this, but there, we have established uh, the Donna and Dan McGee Charitable Trust Fund as a way to honor them as they are uh, preparing for this next uh, stage in life and stepping down from uh, full-time employment in the church. Uh, there, It's through uh, the Community Foundation, and uh, uh, we're encouraging you to give to that. Uh, Donna's not leaving us today. She'll be here uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. Uh, her last time she's going to preach here is going to be uh, the, uh, in the middle of June. And so between now and then, we'd like to sort of pack that charitable trust fund so on her last Sunday uh, we, can, we can hand to her a gift that then her and Dan can turn around and use to, to continue the good work that they do and their love and care for the world and, and, uh, and for God. So I uh, encourage you to, to join us for that. And uh, we, are, we are excited to have you here today. I'm just going to introduce uh, uh, an idea uh, before we begin our confirmation time. Uh, we have been in a series since uh, Easter where we have been talking about the resurrection and the ongoing effects of the resurrection. Uh, so often we, we take this a big event that happened in the church, we hit it one Sunday for the holiday, and then we move on. And in doing that, we miss a lot of the understory that you, 
for many of us, we find it surprising how many people had a hard time believing that Jesus was risen from the dead. We, we sort of push it in the church. You know, we, we want to make sure everybody believes the right way. And so we, we hit it hard on Easter and then we just assume it. And actually in the church over the years, we have, we have uh, made the mistake of, of telling you, if you don't believe it, then there's something wrong with you. If you have any doubts, there's something wrong with you. Grow up, have faith, don't ask questions, just accept and believe. Well, the problem with that is even those closest to him, those people that were in the inner circle of his life, even they had doubts and worries and fears about this story of resurrection. We've, we've talked about some of those, but this morning I, I want to take from Matthew 28. Matthew, uh, one of the uh, most expansive Gospels, uh, chapter 28, uh, we're going to be in verse 16, and I, I, I'm going to read this in just a moment, and as I get to the end of the passage, you're going to recognize it as the Great Commission, uh, the, the charge that Jesus gives to us. It's a very popular verse, but the two verses that precede that, we often just, we, we often just go right by them. In fact, as I look in commentaries and stuff uh, that I have uh, to help with research, it was hard to find anything said about this one verse in particular because it's uncomfortable for us to to think about. So here it is, uh, Matthew 28, beginning verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, there's 11 now because Judas has uh, hung himself, committed suicide. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17. Here's the one that we we just don't pay too much attention to. When they saw him, they worshipped him, double hyphen, and some doubted. And then Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given, given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, Jesus had told the disciples, hey, after I come back, I want you to meet on the mountain. Uh, By this time, uh, these 11 disciples, and and, and what stuck out to me before when I read context on this, I always thought a bigger crowd was gathered. But no, Matthew's specific in that. This is the 11 disciples. These are the ones that are the closest to Jesus, who spent the most time with Jesus. The 11 disciples had gathered. And when they saw Jesus, and this wasn't the first time they'd seen him, they had now heard from Mary Magdalene that Jesus was alive. They had heard from John and Peter that Jesus was alive. They had heard from Cleopas and his friend that were on the road to Emmaus when the risen Lord appeared to them. They had heard about it then. He had appeared in a room that all of them except for Thomas were in and said, look, it's me. Here's my hands and feet, my hands and my side. It's me. He had appeared again to them, especially for Thomas, to say, no, really, it's me. Thomas, look, touch. And with all of that, when they saw Jesus, this is now well into the narrative. They have, they have now had physical evidence of Jesus being risen from the dead. And when they saw Jesus, they worshiped and then they doubt, and, and some doubted. 
Last week I preached a little bit on doubt and uh, it was one of those sermons that I don't, I didn't know how it was going to be received. And I have, I have received more feedback than normal uh, saying thank you for sharing about doubt. Thank you for giving us permission to have questions. Thank you for giving us permission that we don't have to have it all figured out in order to, to call ourselves a follower of Christ. See, these two words in this passage that they worshiped and doubted, for many of us, those don't belong in the same category. Worship, that thing that we do for God, that thing in which we acknowledge His presence, that we acknowledge His majesty, we acknowledge His power, we acknowledge uh, His His Lordship. It's, It's what we do for Him. The idea of worship and doubt seem to grate against one another. But if you notice in this passage, with the 11 guys, that, I mean, this is like preaching to the choir. For three years, he's been with these guys. This is the most intimate relationships that he had. If there was going to be anyone he scolded for doubt, these would have been the guys that he would have done it with. And yet, as they worship, and some of them doubted, there's no, there's no chiding there's there's no there's no guys come on i need you on my side there's no pleading there's no shaming because let's just be honest do we ever fully believe do we ever fully understand who god is these kids are going to come and kneel on this uh, rail right here and we're going to pray for them and we're going to we're going to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in them for the rest of uh, the, their days that they might honor Him and how they live. For many of you, I hope you have a memory of when you first, when Jesus first became real for you, when you first publicly acknowledged that. Some of you, it may have been at camp. Some of you, maybe a, a, a church retreat or some special uh, conference or happening or event. For me, I was eight years old. Uh, Our church was having a special series of uh, worship services. Uh, Our pastor had made a switch with a pastor from Australia. Our pastor had gone to preach in Australia for three months. This pastor had come and preached for us for three months. And as an eight-year-old that usually sat in church, having my parents elbow me to pay attention uh, this this Aussie that showed up with his accent just captivated me. And, and I remember in the midst of a service, at the end of the service, he made an altar call and my and I got up to leave and my mom jerked me back down by the back of it. What are you doing? And I said, no, I need to go up. And I, as I knelt down there and as I accepted Jesus, and for, for some of us, for most of us, there was some sort of prayer we said, right? The, the sinner's prayer, Jesus, I need you. I, 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 I've made some mistakes. I want the life that you have for me. Forgive me for my sins. Help me to be a better person. At age eight, I had no concept what that meant, but emotionally I was captivated. There was something inside it. I was a part of a church family that I had been a part of for uh, since the, the, as old as I could remember that made me feel secure and, and welcomed. There was just something I wanted to connect with it. That was eight years. I'm now almost 58, 50 years 
later. I wish I could tell you. You know, at age 52, I figured it out. I now, I now walk in perfect faith. Uh, I, I now, I, God and I, just like this, I got it. No. While I might have a little more knowledge and insight, there's still so much I don't understand about God. There's so much I don't understand about God. And through the years, my belief has waned. It's easy for me to believe when things are going well. It's easy for me to go to believe when when everything is headed up and to the right and, and everything's moving forward. The times when it's hardest for me to believe is when it seems like everything has fallen apart. And doubt creeps. And for most of us, and for uh, frankly what we've learned in church, much of what we've been taught is don't doubt, don't just trust God, just trust God. But you know what? God's big enough to tell us, no, it's okay to doubt. I believe worship and doubt go together because in the midst of doubt is when worship is the most powerful. It's, it's when things fall apart that my heart is open. It's when things aren't going the way I need them to go that he speaks to me. It's out of doubt that my faith has grown. Because when I'm not in the midst of doubt and I'm not in the midst of problems, I'm not looking for answer. I've got it all figured out. But in the midst of doubt, the presence of God shows up to say, no, I'm here. I still have a long way to go. You still have a long way to go. But on this morning, as we're going to watch some kids kneel before the, uh, the kneel, kneel before us, kneel on the altar, they're no different than you and I. They have a hope and an expectation, but they're going to doubt. This generation is already, uh, they've missed school for a year and a half and had to sit on a computer, right, because of COVID. Your parents used to yell at you for being on the computer, and then they yelled at you to sit in front of the computer. Right? They're watching wars. They're watching pandemic. There's, there's all sorts of things. And there's another shooting this morning uh, in a supermarket. They have seen horrible things. They would be crazy not to question the presence of God. But what we believe is that this is what we call great. Here's where God wants us to be. Here's the line he's drawn for us. Here's where we are. Here's the wonderful story about the gospel. Even though we don't deserve it, God loves us anyway. Even though we don't understand it, God loves us anyway. Even though we're, we're, we're even when we die, we're going to be, maybe the growth we're doing is from here to here. But God loves us anyway. Why? Because it's a gift. He's given us. It's not earned because of our knowledge. It's not earned because we figured everything out. It's a hope and trust that we invest our lives in, hoping that God will come through. And as we experience that through our days, our faith grows that indeed God is good all the time. So as we prepare to receive these these, uh, confirmants, I encourage you to renew your faith as well.
and that you will pray for uh, these kids and, and for this younger generation, oh God, that he would raise up a generation that would lead us, that would count on him, that would trust in him. And this is where that is born. Amen? Amen.